2: Or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
3: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with Paul Levy. Paul, what do you think of demons? Where would you categorize them?
4: Yeah, well, okay. Um, I would say just think of the psyche for a moment, and um, it really correlates, or it helps to understand what a demon is. Because so here we have, you know, if we're whole which we are when we're born, but then we all encounter trauma. And so a part of us, a part of our psyche splits off. And if we don't integrate that, uh, that, that disassociated, split off part of the psyche, it develops an autonomy of its own. In psychology speak, it's called an autonomous complex. And it seemingly, we experience it, you know, as having a seemingly autonomous will and life, an independent life of its own. What I'm describing, you know, in the realm of psychology, that's what the ancients called demons.
3: And, Paul, let me ask you then about curses. How do they fit into this?
4: Yeah, well, the thing, because I talk about curses in my book, and one of the main things to understand with curses is that we're all interconnected, and particularly deep in in, in the dimension of the collective unconscious. And when we project the shadow on each other, And, you know, and to project the shadow is the shadow itself. We hear a lot about the shadow that is the shadow in action. When we project the shadow on somebody else, we're all exquisitely sensitive. We feel that and we can feel, you know, we can actually consciously feel oppressed or we feel it in our subconscious. And then um, we feel burdened and what will happen we then will um, oftentimes find ourselves acting out the very shadow quality that was projected onto us or that was projected into us which of course confirms to the person who projected the shadow that we are you know actually that shadow quality so to the extent that any of us are not in touch with our light we're actually unwittingly cursing you know other people and ultimately we're cursing ourselves.
3: Paul, what did the ancient uh, Native Americans say about how you get rid of Watiko?
4: Yeah, well, they, in essence, there are all the, these different, you know, sort of these ways you can, you can deal with it, you know, prayer and ceremony, but ultimately it has to do with get, with being in touch with your nature, with your true nature. When we're in touch with who we actually are, then we're totally immune to whatiko. It can't. It can't get its hooks into us, you know. So that is the best protection. Um, with reference to Watiko is to be in touch with our nature, and that's a cliche. But what it actually means is that, well, what is our nature? Our nature is love, is compassion, and our nature, by its very nature, is creative. So when we get in touch with our nature, we embody and express ourselves creatively. And the more we express ourselves creatively, the more we know our nature in a positive feedback loop. And that's, the, you know, so to actually connect with our creativity, you know, which is our nature, that in a sense, in all my work I'm talking about, that's the best protection for Watiko.
3: What did the Native Americans do with people who were obviously affected by Watiko?
4: Yeah, well, they were very much connected with community. So... You know when somebody was infected with Watiko, and that could be any of us at any given moment. Um, the sense is that they, they try to, in a way, you know, because we're all connected, to you know, to bring them into the the community of the tribe to help them to awaken to the nature of their heart. Because part of when we get taken over by Watiko, we have a cold heart. We're not connected with our love and with our compassion. And that person, they see, has just gotten taken over in a way by their unconscious. And it's like an addiction. It's like they just you know can't help but to act out their unconscious. So the think about indigenous people. They were w- way more in touch with their sense of community and that we're not separate and that we depend on each other.
3: When people come down with this so-called mind virus how do they get infected what have they done
4: yeah well it's it's contagious and it's contagious through the unconscious you know which we all share we all partake of the collective unconscious so the thing about what it's it's a collective it's a psychosis a collective psychosis it's a psychic epidemic and it's contagious just like an actual you know if you have a physical bug it can it can be contagious and and that's why you know so many people I mean think about it there's a collective madness happening in our world right now we're in the middle of a collective psychosis and what I'm pointing out with the idea of a mind virus is that the origin and the solution of our collective psychosis is to be found within our psyche
3: it is amazing it's frightening at the same time isn't it
4: yeah but the thing is you know if, if we get too attached or absorbed in fear, fear is, is the superfood for huatico. So, yeah, it takes courage to see huatico. But the point is, when you see it out there, you recognize that it's reflecting, you know, that darker part of us. So it's actually helping us. But if we get, you know, sort of possessed by that fear, and then as soon as I get possessed by fear, there's an other There are people out there that are separate from me, and it becomes a self-reinforcing feedback loop, that sense of separate self and fear, and then Watiko just feeds off of that. That's why one of the main solutions for Watiko is to recognize that we don't exist as a separate self, that we're interdependent, we're interconnected, and, and, you know, that's why I I say that the expression of this realization is compassion, because compassion is the dissolver, the Watiko dissolver par excellence
3: the great healer Wilhelm Reich uh, is mentioned in your book. Tell us why,
4: yeah, well, you know, I had read his book about um the murder of Christ a number of years ago, and then i I, I recently picked it up a few years ago, and my head exploded because I realized, oh my God, he's pointing at Watiko. So many people, so many artists and thinkers and philosophers, like Philip K. Dick, are pointing at Watiko, and and here's here's Wright pointing at Watiko. He would talk about in the Murder of Christ that there was an emotional plague that plagued humanity. There was there was something in us that was actually against us, that was attacking our light, that was attacking our wholeness, that was making us sick, and was perversely getting off on keeping us sick. And and so what Reich was writing about, he was pointing out that Christ, when you see it symbolically, he was revealing this inner dynamic through the whole Christ event of being crucified, of what actually is happening in the unconscious of humanity, and that we ourselves are the murderers of Christ that that's the ultimate thing that he was pointing at that there's no one who's killing our own, does not, you see, the thing about with Tico, it doesn't exist objectively, independently. It has no intrinsic existence separate from our own mind and yet it can kill us. And what that's pointing at is the incredible, untapped power of our mind that we already have. But because we're unconscious of it, that power is being outsourced and the powers of the state are more than happy to turn our own intrinsic creative power against us.
0: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst and the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching The Furthest Thing from the Truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Who's winning the battle? Watico
4: or us? Well that look, quantum physics would say it's not deterministic. It's very probabilistic. And it dep- that's why I'm devoting my life to trying to get the work you know, trying to get the word out. This is like a major event, this idea. Of that we finally like what Jung says in times of collective psychosis such as ours, the one thing that can save us, and this is a quote, is a new symbolic idea, and that's what the greatest tyrants in history were most afraid of was an idea whose time has come that would awaken people because that idea is contagious, and Watiko is exactly that idea. So who knows who's going to win? But we are actually creating and participating our experience together. So I'm trying to to the extent that more and more of us wake up to our shadow, but also to our light, to our genius, and that we've actually brainwashed ourselves. No one else is doing that. Ultimately speaking, we've done that. As more of us awaken to that and we connect with other people who are awakening to that, then we can actually dream ourselves awake. And that's to recognize that we can consciously participate in our own evolution, And that's what this is all about, that if we don't recognize what Watico is revealing to us, guaranteed we're going to be destroying ourselves. And yet it's actually the greatest catalyst for the evolution of our species there's ever been. But we need to recognize what it's showing us.
3: Someone who might be a mass shooter, for example, Paul, have they been infected by this
4: yeah, well, if you think about it from the dreamlike, Nate, from the dreamlike point of view, because what I'm pointing at, we, you know, to actually see this is to see that we're having a collective dream. That mass shooter is actually, by killing other people, they're actually... They're showing the perverse state of their own psyche that they're actually yes. killing. That's the murder of Christ. They're enacting that. And yeah, so one could say, oh, definitely, Watiko, it's an archetypal energy. And what that means, it can possess a person. It can literally take over an entire person such that they then become an instrument for Watiko, which is a higher dimensional energy to act itself out and not just a person it can possess it can possess a group of people or a nation or a whole nation or a species
3: you talk a bit about angels tell me their involvement with us
4: yeah no for sure well the thing about with it's this daimonic energy and the diamond you know if we see what the diamond is and this ties into angels it's a transpersonal energy and that actually can possess a person and that diamond is actually the inner voice and the guiding spirit, and it contains our creativity. And it leads us to our calling and you know, to, it, it'll help us discover what we're here to do. But if we don't actually, tap into that daimon, it consolates negatively and becomes a demon. So in my book, I talk about well, angels. We actually all have this counterpart, this celestial counterpart. That's the counterpart to the demon. It's the angel. And it's always with us. And, that's, and it's really our inner guidance. That's what the daimon is. It's continually communicating with us through dreams, through synchronicities, through our minds. And all that I'm trying to point out is we need to develop a conscious relation it's like getting into an intimate relationship with that angel part of us that is our guiding spirit and that will connect us to our you know to our nature and to our creativity and that's the solution to what and to the all, all of the world crises what is at the root of the myriad world crises that we're facing okay so when we connect with that angel, with that daimon, with that guiding spirit within us. Because if we don't connect with it, it consolates negatively and becomes a demon. But when we connect with it, it will awaken us. That's what my work is about.
3: What would you recommend that people do in order to ward this off?
4: Yeah, any spiritual practice that makes you connect with your heart and makes you feel love and compassion. And anything, because we are creative beings. We are, what quantum physics has shown to us is that we are creating our experience of ourselves and of the world moment by moment. No one else is doing that. We are doing that. We are creating our experience. So to the extent that we consciously tap in to our creative nature and express ourselves creatively instead of unwittingly offering ourselves to what and disassociating from our from our creative nature and identifying with Watiko's version of ourselves, which is a a fictitious identity, to the extent we connect with our creative nature, then that's kryptonite to Watiko. Not only does it take away Watiko's power, it empowers ourselves.
3: What kind of rituals did they use to try to ward off the Watiko people?
4: Oh, well, you know, indigenous people and people all throughout history, they, you know, depending on the spiritual tradition, they, they would, you know, they would have it, prayers, they did, would-
3: Did they sacrifice meditation. the people?
4: Well, you know, um, it, it could be thousands of years ago, They would, they would do something, you know, that, you know, just whatever that primitive. But the point is, is that actually seeing this life as a dream, that's to cultivate symbolic awareness and when you have symbolic awareness, because a symbol is the language of dreaming, then all of a sudden, you actually, all of life becomes symbolic, and all of life becomes a sacred ceremony. And that's the attitude. That's the point of view that will ward off Wachiko.
3: Truly amazing. And how did you discover this, Paul?
4: I discovered this in my own life in with my family. You know, like I was saying, my father got taken over by Wachiko and I couldn't believe that the whole family system and then the mental health system when that got called in it configured itself to protect the abuser it was like whenever i was shining light on the evil that was coming through my father i couldn't believe it was like there was a non-local field that was actually configuring itself to protect the darkness and and so i was actually tracking this and and creating maps for this higher dimensional process That was unfolding within my mind and in my relationships and through my father and out in the world. And and then I began to realize like an iteration of a fractal. Oh, my God, this is playing out in my mind, with my family, in the psychiatric system, and in the greater body politic of the world. It's like iterations of a deeper fractal. And that's when I began to discover, oh, my God, there's like some sort of evil energy enfolded, holographically enfolded throughout the multi-dimensions of our universe, that's expressing itself, and to the extent we're unconscious of it, it's gonna kill us, but it's actually helping us. It's helping us to awaken.
3: It is no question you've done a marvelous job, and I'm sorry you had to go through this as a child. Nobody, no, no young kid should have to go through what you went through.
4: Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate that, and that's true. That's really, and I'm really lucky, because it destroyed my entire family. I haven't had a family for over 20 years
3: did you sever your relationship with your father and i assume he's no longer with us
4: yeah no he's no longer with us no 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 he you know i was till his dying day i was trying to connect and you know and to dispel this thing i don't think i could have possibly had realized the extent of his possession and it was only through my dreams over years and years i would be having these unbelievable archetypal dreams these lucid dreams that over decades were showing me, oh my God, my father was taken over by this, you know, archetypal, transpersonal, this demonic force that wasn't human. And he you know, and in the form of of a human being, of my father. And you know, that was unbelievably, you know, traumatizing, but I turned it into medicine. That's the very realization that's informed my work.
2: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM
4: every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com
0: for more. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst and the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching The Furthest Thing from the Truth, on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get
2: your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins.